Good. I'm, I'm glad to be here this morning. Um, if you were here before service, you saw I was wearing a mask. Um, I, I, you can hear it probably in my voice. I've had like some scratchy throat. I've done a COVID test. I am negative, so don't worry about that. Um, we do, Carrie, uh, I mean not Carrie, Kara and, and Alex both tested positive for COVID. So y'all be praying for them. Um, that, and thankfully the variants that are out right now are just like a cold for most people. So, uh, and Alex said he's, he's doing pretty well. It just feels like a cold. So anyway, we'll be praying for them. Uh, I want to start off this morning by saying happy Father's Day to all the dads in the room. Uh, and also happy Juneteenth. Today is officially Juneteenth, which uh, we probably, everybody knows now that that's the the day that celebrated that the word finally got to all of the slaves that slavery had ended which man what a great thing for us to celebrate as a body and to celebrate with our, our community um, and I'm kind of sad that I didn't know about that for most of my life um, but I'm glad to be able to celebrate that today uh, David thank you for the testimony this morning and and I what I you know what I appreciate about David he, he joked and said feels like God always has me tell all the bad stuff about my life all the bad parts of my personality but isn't that true of all of us like when God does a work in us, it's because he is taking something that we kind of like to keep hidden, we don't want to tell everybody about, and reveal that to us, and he's dealing with us. And while it is a little cringy sometimes to know that about ourselves, um, it also is super freeing to know that God has made a promise, and I appreciate you saying that, that he is going to make a new creation out of us. And so um, I, I'm excited about what God's doing in his life, and I'm excited about what God is doing in all of our lives. We're going to continue today in the book of James. And, and again, I want to remind you, our goal in this study is to develop true faith. It's, it's, this, it's exactly what David was talking about this morning, about God revealing himself to us, revealing the truth about who we are to us, and, and that experience creating change in our hearts, not us trying to just look like better people, but God actually doing a work in us to make us better people. Um, I've said many times that true faith never stops growing, and I'm going to continue to repeat that because I want that to be something that's planted in our minds. That when we talk about faith, when we talk about true faith, that that is something that is going to develop continually throughout the rest of our life. And in fact, our faith grows in direct proportion to our obedience as we abide in Christ, right? It, for David, I'm going to continue to pick on him for a minute. God could reveal that stuff to him, but if he didn't make a decision to let God do that work and just decided to stay in his frustration, to stay in his feelings, then it would have been, nothing would have happened right? God would have revealed it, but David could have just stopped the process right there. Our faith grows as we hear what God's saying to us, and then we walk in obedience to what he's telling us to do about it. As we see God's activity in our lives, we learn more about who he is, the nature of his character, and then we fall more in love with, with who he is. And we're going to see James helping his fellow believers develop true faith as he addresses the difficulties of life and the areas of their theology where there's a misunderstanding. We're going we're gonna to use that word many times today because I want us to kind of see what James, the idea that he's developing. Last week we finished up this first section in James in chapter 1, and we'll, we'll cover the second section today. It's just a couple of verses. And I want to remind you again, as you're reading this book, remember that every time James says something like, my dear brothers, when you see that word brothers, just plug in your mind that he is kind of starting a new thought, a new section. And not unlike our own teaching or conversational styles just because James is starting a new section it doesn't mean that it's unrelated to what he said before or what he's going to say after I was thinking about that this week as you move through the natural flow of a conversation the things that you're talking about now typically unless it's a random thought are related to the things that you've been discussing and are going to be related to the things that you're going to discuss further down in the conversation right everybody tracking with me on that never do we 
or rarely do we have a conversation with someone in which something that we say in the middle of the conversation is completely isolated from everything else in the conversation. Typically, they're tied together in some way, and we're going to see that today as we're, as we're thinking about these different sections. Even though he's starting a new thought, it's tied back to the original as well. And I mention that because there's a lot of debate about whether James's warning that he's about to share is tied to what he previously said or if it's tied to what he's about to say. And I think that both are true. I think that he's talking about both things. In, this, in the last section, James was focused on enduring trials and our maturity, how that changes as we endure. Today, we're going to see James focusing on God's goodness. His intention is to clear up any misunderstanding about God's character. And I'll dive into that in just a minute. But one of my commentaries said, the believer may have a very rudimentary faith in Christ, but has adopted falsehoods about the life of faith. I'm going to pause right there in that quote. And I want us to think about that in our own lives. There have been so many things that I thought I understood about God and my own faith. Only as I've learned more about who God is that I realize that some of those things I misunderstood. He goes on to say, some among James's audience had adopted the idea that God is the cause of temptation. And yet in no case can a role be assigned to God in relation to evil, temptation, and sin. And that's what we talked about last week. Some of James's audience had adopted the belief that God was causing the temptation that they were experiencing in their life. And so James is using these two different sections to clear up that misunderstanding. Um, and, and another commentator said, if the great temptation of the sinner is unbelief, then the great temptation of the believer is misbelief. Which, misbelief, if you look that up, it's not a word, but it is for this guy. <laughs> Remember that we have seen time and, and again, the main tool of the enemy is to alter what we believe about God. In the garden, he said to Eve, quote unquote, did God really say? And I wrote that this week and I was like, wait, is that really what God said? Or am I getting that twisted in my mind? Is that something I came up with? Look with me back at Genesis chapter three, verses one through five, because I want us to see this. I want us to see that the enemy's tactics have not changed. He's the same sly dog that he always was. Verse one, it says, now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And I want to point out in verse five, he says, in fact, the enemy is going to take our fuzzy remembrance of what God has said, mix it with your own logic, and convince you that what God has said isn't true or that it's something other than what you remember. He's tricky. And so it's so good. I, I know you guys have noticed I use a lot of scripture in my messages because I want to constantly go back to scripture and look at what Jesus has said, what God has said, so that our fuzzy remembrance doesn't get mixed up with our own logic, our own earthly wisdom, and create something that's not true. I think that's what's happening with some of the believers that James is addressing. The enemy twists and distorts what we believe about God. And so one of the things that James is addressing in chapter 1 is misbelief and misunderstanding about where temptation comes from. In life, we're going to experience both good times and hard times. And sometimes those things are going to be intermixed, right, David? Like a trip to Ireland. 
where it's supposed to be this amazing thing, but in the middle of the amazing thing, you got all this. I had a similar story this week. Bethany and I, you, know, you guys know, went out of town for our vacation. And I don't know about you, but when I go to the beach, I'm thinking about seafood, right? I mean, you can't get better seafood than when you're on the beach. And so we also didn't have the kids with us because that's a lot of fun. And so we purposely waited till later in the evening to go eat dinner so that there weren't other people's kids around us so we could have, you know, some adult time. And so we pick out a restaurant, like, and when I say picked out a restaurant, like I spent several hours looking at reviews and trying to figure out the right ones so I could get the food that I wanted because I had boiled shrimp on my mind and maybe some char-grilled oysters. That wasn't the main thing, but definitely wanted some, some shrimp. So we picked the restaurant and we go and it's an, a quote unquote, an oyster bar. Okay. And we get there and you had to pay a cover charge to get in because there was some live music, which I didn't know, which is not a big deal, but okay, whatever. That's annoying because we just want to go eat. And so we go into the oyster bar and guess what they're out of? Oysters. Guess what else they don't have? Shrimp. So I had a burger. Okay. And I'm going to be honest with you. I was, I had big feelings and they were not nice feelings. Like I want to get on Yelp and be like, let me tell you all about this oyster bar. Okay. But the reality is I had a great evening plan, but it didn't go the way I wanted and I didn't like it. Right. But I'm, in the middle of this amazing trip with my wife. And so sometimes in life, good things are happening all around us. But I love, Leah, you talking about perspective this morning. We're going to talk a lot about that today. But the little thing like not having oysters was blinding me so bad that I was forgetting why I was even on the trip. I got my beautiful wife sitting right here with me, and it's just the two of us. We can spend time together, and I'm mad about oysters. How ridiculous is that, right? Look at... James chapter 1, verses 16 through 18 with me. Jesus wants us to understand, James wants us to understand the nature of both good times and hard times and where those things come from. In verse 16 through 18, he says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. If James is instructing or warning the church about deceit, what's the subject of that deceit? Last week, we talked about temptation. This week, we're going to talk about God's goodness. And in this 16th verse of James chapter 1, he's tying together these two ideas. James is saying, don't be deceived about where good and where evil come from. Let's get this straight. The main point of these few verses, verses 16 through 18, is to make sure that the church understands where goodness comes from. And this is our overarching theme for today. This is what I want you to go home with, is that goodness comes only from God. That's what comes from him, and it's the only place that it really comes from. So let's talk about goodness for a minute. Because it's difficult for people today to grasp the goodness of God. It is difficult for me sometimes to grasp the goodness of God. There's no other person or thing that can come close to comparing to the goodness that we can experience from God. And it's obvious by the wording in verse 18 that James is speaking to fellow believers because he says that God gave, quote, us birth by the word. Okay, and that's an important distinction. He's talking to Christ believers. We'll circle back to what he means by birth at the end, but there's another issue that I want us to see first as well. Look at verse 17 again. It says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. It's difficult for people today to grasp the goodness of God, and I think it's difficult because there's nothing to compare God to. 
Follow me in this logic for a minute. When you compare two things, typically they're similar in scope or value, right? When you're trying to make a decision about what restaurant I'm going to go to, both of them have pretty good reviews. They're pretty well, like you can't compare, compare like Burger King and the Diamond Grill, right? I mean, you can, but it's not fair in any way, shape, or form, okay? They're dis, if they're disproportionately different, we say there is what? No comparison, right? If, as James says, goodness comes only from God, why do we compare God's goodness with the things of the world? Are they similar in any way? Obviously, the answer to that is no, but the problem is that the world is so disconnected from God that we can't fathom how far apart we are, right? I, I was thinking about this this morning. I was talking to somebody, it may have been Leah last week, I don't know, about the Grand Canyon. And I had seen pictures of the Grand Canyon before, and it's big and it's huge and the colors are beautiful, right? But that paled in comparison to me actually going to the Grand Canyon. But here's the thing. We're at the Grand Canyon. I, we just had four kids at the time. Bethany was pregnant with, with Charlie. I guess so technically we had five. Um, <laughs> but we're standing on, on the edge of the Grand Canyon, right, on the rim. And there's a rail there. I'm glad it's there because kids. And, and we're looking down into the canyon. Raise your hand if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon before. Anybody? Okay, a couple of people have. Okay, you're, you're, you're standing on the edge and you're looking in the canyon. And there is no doubt about the fact that it is a long way to the bottom. Correct? Like, I don't know about you, but when I, even here, if I tip my toes over the edge of this stage, my, my stomach gets a little tangly, right? And you're like, ooh, this is it's kind of that roller coaster feeling. And so here I am, and I'm looking over the edge, and I am in awe at the beauty and the grandeur and how amazing this thing is. And there's a park ranger there, and she says, it's pretty cool, isn't it? And I said, yeah. And she said, you don't, you don't see it yet. I'm like, what do, you mean, what do you mean I don't see it? I'm looking at it. She said, you got to go in the canyon. Like, what do you mean? She said, your perspective is different when you get inside the canyon. You can't see how big it is from the top. Okay, well, there's only one trail down in the canyon. It's called the Bright Angel Trail. So we get our kids and grab their hands with death grips, and we start down the switchback Bright Angel Trail. And we didn't go super far, maybe half a mile, three quarters of a mile, I don't know. But it was far enough to realize how small we were and how big that canyon was. My perspective changed because I got in the middle of it. It's not until we have journeyed into the canyon that we can see how big the world is or how big God is and how little we are in it. As powerful as our brains are, there are many things that we just cannot comprehend until we physically experience it. I believe this is why the world cannot separate its own goodness from God's goodness because they haven't been in it yet. They can hear about it. They can see it from afar. But until you have experienced the, good, the goodness of God for yourself, you can't understand it. There's no lack of things to compare God to. But the problem is, is that nothing compares to God, right? There's no other person or thing in this world that can come close to the goodness that we can experience from God. What the world would consider, quote-unquote, good, just falls short. It's just not as good. One of my commentaries says, this, is what, this means that everything with God as its source is good. And that's why I'm saying that, that all good things come from God, because if God is really good, everything that is good comes from God. 
He goes on to say the gifts of God are good because they never foster evil desire or sin. The gifts of God are perfect because they are the fulfillment of his will for his people. What God would define as good and what the world defines as good are nowhere close to the same thing. I did a little Google research to kind of support this idea because I had a feeling, but I wanted I want some data. I'm kind of data-driven about things like that. And I'll just say some of the top responses to why I looked up of, of best things that happened in 2021. And the top four, five, six Google hits uh, that were list of the top things, top 100, top 20, top 21 things of the year 2021, most of those things are too risque to talk about in church on Sunday morning. Don't you just think about that for a minute? The best thing, and, and, and here's where I was looking. This is not just Google's perspective. I looked at things like the US, US, uh, USA Today. I looked at the Washington Post. I looked at the New York Times. These are reputable news sources. And the things that they were talking about that were the best things that happened in 2021 are not things that we want to talk about in this setting. And those are the best things that happened last year. Everything falls short when we compare a created thing to its creator. And I want you to understand this. I'm going to give you another example. I want you to think about the most beautiful painting you've ever seen. Bethany and I, years ago, got to go to New York for a, a work trip for me. And so we went to the Met, the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Incredible. And I'll never forget, I saw, I think it was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess this up now. It was a self-portrait guy in a yellow hat. Is that Van Gogh? Okay, so I saw Van Gogh's self-portrait. Like, I'm, I'm standing in front of it. And y'all, it's incredible. Like, I'm not an art guy per se, but, I mean, it's Van Gogh, okay? And as cool as that thing is, it doesn't compare to the total of his work, right? Like, it's a great picture. It's a great painting. But if you stack that up against everything that Van Gogh did in his lifestyle and you compare just that one painting to everything, they don't compare, right? Because his work is comprehensive. Flip that back into the spiritual aspect of things too. If we take just these small things of the world and we compare it to the vastness of who God is, who is the source of all that is good, even if that little thing that we are looking, for, looking at is good, it pales in comparison to the goodness of who God is. Spurgeon spoke of it this way. I love this quote. I'll probably remember this for the rest of my life. This is Charles Spurgeon, the Charles Spurgeon. Preach this at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. It says, good and perfect gifts are flowers too rich and rare to spring up of themselves upon the dunghill of human nature. I love it. Anybody got any questions about that? Here's the thing. It isn't just that things pale when they're compared to God. That's part of it. It also has to do with how quickly we consider things that are good how often they change. Take a walk with me for just a moment down history lane. Let's talk about eggs, okay? Are eggs healthy? That is the question. 1960, now I was not alive then, okay? Not as old as David is. He wasn't alive in 1960. Either. In 1960, they said, start your day with an egg. It's a great thing. I like that. That's a good motto. Start your day with an egg. I like eggs. In 1970, they said, avoid eggs. They're linked to high blood pressure. So in 10 years, they went from start your day with an egg to don't eat eggs, they'll cause high blood pressure. And then in 1980, they did another study and they said, you, can need, you need to avoid eggs because now uh, they have salmonella in it. You might get salmonella poisoning if you eat eggs. And then in 1999, they came out and said, there's no link between eggs and any kind of cardiovascular disease. 
Also cook the eggs all the way through. You don't have to worry about salmonella. So now eggs are good again. Start your, egg, start your day with the egg. 2013, confirmed, they did another study that confirmed the 1999 study that reaffirmed, and now everybody in their mama is raising chickens in their yard. So within the span of 50 years, we went from eat all the eggs you want to eggs are horrible, don't eat any, and now everybody and their mama got a little chicken tractor in their backyard with two or three laying hens, and they've got more eggs than they know what to do with. What we consider to be good changes, right? James says that every good and perfect gift comes from where? It says it comes down from the Father of lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. He's making two references here. One, to coming down. Good and perfect. Those are different words, but they have the same meaning in Greek. Good and perfect gifts from, come from above. And then also Father of lights or shifting shadows. And that is referencing celestial bodies, the sun, the moon, and all that. We'll talk about that in a minute. But here's what I want you to understand. Goodness comes only from God, right? The integrity and the consistency of God of God qualify his gifts as good. God doesn't change. When he's talking about, uh, well, I'll get to that in a minute. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Unlike people, our understanding of science, our opinions, etc., God doesn't change. Those other things might. As we continue to do more research about eggs, we might find something else that's bad about them. Who knows? But here's what I can tell you is we can research all we want about God and it's not going to change the fact that he is good. What was good when he created the earth and everything in it is still good today. It's good because God created it and called it good. He even calls this creation good after he creates it. To go back to the example of eggs about how information about them has changed over the years, God nor his view of us has never changed. I want you to think about this for a minute. He loved you when you were created. He loved you when you rebelled against him. He loved you when you realized that you were living in rebellion. He loves you right now, and he will continue to love you for the rest of eternity. That's good. You will never have to wonder if there's some new research that's going to come out about you in your life that's going to make God love you any less than he does right now. That will not change. Because God has integrity. God is consistent. What he said at the beginning is still true today. He created you and you are good. Even though we rebelled against him, he still loves us. And, and here's the thing, is God doesn't do that out of obligation. It's not like I would could say, well, you know, I got these kids, I have to go to work today because I need to provide for them. That would be doing that out of obligation. God, God's doing this because he loves us. He's choosing to do that. Look at verse 18 again. It says, by his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I want to mention that today of all days, we can't ignore the reality that there are many people, some in our body and some outside of it, that have never experienced the kind of love or goodness that James is describing here. It's Father's Day. We've talked about this before, that our understanding of who God is directly is informed by our relationship with our dads. It's just the reality of it. And for a lot of us in this room, we've had great parents, both moms and dads, who loved us well. But there are many people, perhaps some here today, that did, did not have a father that could be described as good. And so for us to talk about God as being a good father, sometimes it just seems to not quite hit the mark. 
When we talk about God being a good father, it's hard to imagine that to be true if your own father was not a great guy. I have several people in my life who either never knew their dad or their dad chose to walk out on them. And so as they think about God and we talk about him being a good father, immediately in their minds, they can't comprehend, they can't compute what that would look like. So celebrating Father's Day or considering God to be a good father is difficult to say the least. It's my hope and my prayer that today, that this week, God would help all of us to redefine our understanding of what it means to be a good father, both for God and for ourselves. This is yet another reason why it's so important that we remember and proclaim the glory of God's goodness. We need to tell the world that not only is God a good father, but that he chooses you and me. He had a choice. If he didn't, it wouldn't say that he, by choice, chose. But he had a choice. God's word gave us life and it gave us redemption. There are two things that I want us to see in this last part of verse 18. First, let's talk about birth by the word. And, the, and word here, as it's found in the Greek, is logos. Okay, It's a word y'all probably heard before. We've discussed this morning that God, that God created us and called us good. And John testified that testifies to that at the very beginning of his gospel. Y'all heard this before, look at it with me. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and notice that that's in uppercase, okay? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness does not overcome it. We're going to circle back and talk about light in a minute too. Remember, James said that Jesus has given us birth by the word. Look at verse 18 again. It says, by his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. He's referring to two different birth events in this passage, our natural birth and our supernatural birth. We were first born by God speaking us into existence through all of our great-great-great-great-great-grandma Eve, right? God spoke us into existence by his word. And so that's our natural birth. And then we're born a second time by the spirit. Look at me with John chapter 3 where Jesus talks about this with Nicodemus. And I love this this story and I wanted us to see it again this morning. Starting in verse 3, it says, Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again... He cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, I love this. How can anyone be born when he is old? He asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be, asked Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things, Jesus replied? Truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify about what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descends from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. 
For God loved the world this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and the only son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. Jesus, who is the word of truth, gave us a second birth. And I know it's a lot of different illustrations that were thrown out there today. But we had our natural birth, we had our supernatural birth. And after our supernatural birth, Jesus says we become a light in the world. To proclaim his goodness to those around us. And I'll tell you, for me personally, where I get really convicted when I'm thinking about this is those moments where I'm at a restaurant and I'm really mad because they don't have oysters. Because my attitude and my response is not reflecting the light. It's reflecting the darkness that's inside of me. The brokenness that's inside of me. Jesus redeemed us by sacrificing his own life so that we might be born again. One of my commentaries said, salvation is never given apart from our hearing and believing the word of truth. That word of truth is implanted within us, as he's going to say a little bit later in the passage. It's a sovereign act of God, but it is the word of truth. He goes on to say, the decision of God to birth believers through his word is not the same as his general working within creation. God performs a special kind of work in the life of human beings according to his divine plan. Believers have faith because God gave them spiritual birth. God does something different or did something different when he created humans. He made us different from all the other animals. We're conscious. We can think about ourselves. We have free will. And no other creation is like us. So God makes us in this special way. And then he does an additional special work in our lives to make a way for us to come back to him after we used our gift of free will to rebel against him. second thing I wanted us to see today is that God does, does that special work in our lives. And it changes our eternal status. Remember we talked about status a couple of weeks ago? That's the only status that matters. And when we, when we go to him, when we hear his call to give ourselves to him, it changes our status. James describes this as first fruit. And I want us to talk about that for just a minute, that first fruit. And what does that mean? This is not like just making us okay with God. And what I mean by that is imagine you got in an argument with your spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, and you both apologize, but you're still not okay. Anybody experienced that before? Like you technically have done the thing that you were supposed to do, but you're still mad about it. You may not say it, but you're still feeling it, right? I see some of y'all giggling in here. You know what I'm talking about. Okay. That's not what James is describing here. Jesus has made you set apart as holy. This is what James is talking about. When he, start, when he says that Jesus gives us birth by the word of truth so that we can be a kind of first fruit of his creatures, first fruits are the first or the best part of the harvest or crops or processed produce, animals, and firstborn sons. Look at Exodus 34, 22. This is a quick reference to it. It said, observe the festival of leeks, weeks, with its first fruits of the wheat harvest, the festival of ingathering, and the turn of the agricultural year. These first fruits were the very first part, the best part of any harvest. And back in Exodus, when God is establishing Israel as a new nation, he said, look, when you plant your fields, 
the first fruits, the best fruits, I want you to gather those together and bring them to me as an offering. Those are mine. Okay? Now put that back into what James is saying. James is saying that when God gives us that second birth, that supernatural birth, he is creating in us the first fruits. We are becoming the first fruits of all of his creation. He is setting us aside as holy. He is claiming us as his own. James is bringing the imagery back to mind and telling the church that God didn't just want to redeem you. He didn't want to just fix the problem. He wanted to make you holy. You are his own possession. Of all God's creation, the redeemed are set aside as holy because of what Jesus has done, because of what Jesus chose to do. So don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. No matter what you may have been told, God is good and he gives good gifts. And you are his holy nation. In a world that has so much to offer and so much to distract us with, we need the constant reminder that the goodness that we experience in life, the real goodness, the capital G, goodness, comes from God. As we face the trials of life, if we are struggling with temptation, we need to be reminded that God's desire for us is goodness. That's what he created us for. This is not a, a well, I'm, I'm not even going to go there. I'm not saying that God wants your life to be perfect. Because we talked about last week that sometimes you can be blessed and not happy at the same time, right? But God's goal for us, the reason that we go through trials is so that we can learn about him and learn about us and realize that he's way better than we are and we want to be more like him. God is doing that to set us aside as a holy nation, to claim us as his own so that he can, like Job, say, look at this guy. Test him however you want to. He's good. He's solid because he's faithful. That's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to create in us true faith that comes as we walk through a broken world and God uses the trials around us to develop us into his likeness, to make us holy, to set us aside, to be able to say, look at my good and faithful servant. That's the goal. It's for us to be reunited with God. Sometimes goodness comes in the form of a trial. And we need to recognize that so we can learn and we can grow. But we can be assured that temptation does not come from God. We talked about that last week. But goodness does. Let's pray. God, as we face challenges this week, as trials pop up, God, I ask that you'd help us to keep our perspective. And that as we're doing that, God, as we are walking in obedience to you, that you'd help us to, to travel a little further down into that canyon so that we can really see how great and how good you are. And Father, as we are doing that, as we're suffering through the trials, as we are venturing further down, God, I ask that your work in our lives would be a shining light to the people around us. Father, that they would see your goodness and your glory as you work and act in our lives. God, if, if we can just follow you as you take us down those roads. God, the world's going to get to see the goodness of who you are, and all we're doing is walking in obedience. God, give us the strength, give us the courage, give us the stamina to walk with you wherever you lead. Help us, our, our focus, to be on knowing you 
and not on producing right behavior or looking a certain way or trying to act tough in the middle of our hard times. God, help us to just trust you, to lean into you and to let a watching world see that and see how good you are and how much you love us. Jesus, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Go ahead.